Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. Video segments of this and other episodes of the podcast can be found at Sales Leadership United, hosted on Patreon. Think of Sales Leadership United like a Home Depot for sales leaders. It's a comprehensive resource for sales leaders with over 100 hours of tools, training, and insights sorted and tagged into every category you might need to help you become an elite sales leader. A private podcast, sales leadership training, sales meeting insights, video insights, and much more are waiting for you to check out at Sales Leadership United. Don't reinvent sales leadership. Tap into proven tools and techniques used by many of today's most successful sales leaders and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from this week's sales leader who's making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. We've had an amazing run of killer guests in the last few weeks, and today we're bringing even more heat. I'm excited to welcome Moore Asseline to the show today. Moore is the founder and CEO of From Demo to Close. Moore and his team help AEs close more sales by having more powerful conversations and demonstrations. Moore's team helps B2B SaaS companies close 50% of their sales demos, reduce sales cycle time by double digits, and increase pipeline by orders of magnitude by changing the conversation. He's having a massive impact in revenue transformation with teams all around the world. Now, Moore's a three times VP of sales for wildly successful SaaS sales teams. He's built multiple GTM sales teams from scratch, helped several sales teams triple ARR in one year or less, and helped salespeople worldwide learn to win business with iconic brands. Today, Moore provides one-to-one demo coaching, offers on-demand context and coursework, and he runs a mastermind group with professionals looking to find that next level. He's highly sought after, someone with perspectives based in what's working now, and someone I've been following for a long time. One of my favorite things about Moore is we're in a world right now where a lot of people want to be self-anointed experts, even though they haven't really done the job. I see a lot of people bouncing from thing to thing and place to place, chasing titles and trying to create this so-called influence, but it's an influence of eyeballs and not an influence of actual success record. This is not Moore. Moore's done it. He continues to do it, and he brings things that are based on what's working today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I cannot wait to get started. Moore, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it, Rob. Thank you. Moore, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a fan, as you know. I've followed you for a little while. I, I, I'm excited to dive into some of your thoughts with 45,000 sales leaders today. Why don't we start by having you just introduce yourself and, and, and your group and, and what is it you do for your customers that you work with in sales right now? Yeah, I started a company called FTTC, stands for From Demo to Close about eight, nine months ago. Um, it is specifically focused, very sub-niche for sales training, coaching, call it slash advisory for some founders, but around B2B SaaS sales coaching. 
I specifically focus on discovery demo close. So there's plenty of people doing stuff for outbound and cold calling and cold uh, emailing. Yep. I don't focus on that. I focus on what do you do when you get the lead on the hook? How do you reel them in and close them? That's what I focus on. I love that. That's going to be a great topic for us right now. I, I, I can't wait to, to dive into some of this with you. Um, but before we do, I, one of my favorite things is to learn a tiny bit, like high level. I'm still looking for that person that said, man, when I was a kid, I said, I'm going to be in sales when I grow up. I still haven't found that person. Uh, what was your, a little bit about your journey? What led you into sales and ultimately to have that, that uh, confidence to say, it's time to start my own shop? Yeah, it's, so I have a funny story. Um, okay. I, so I'll give you a like mid story and then I'll pull back a little bit, but my first real job out of college, when I say real, I mean, there was a salary and, and benefits and all that real job out of college <clears throat> was a sales job. I had to do some cold prospecting. Uh, the first day of the job within the first hour I quit, um, I realized it wasn't sales wasn't for me. I, in the I first think, hour you quit in the, the first, first hour. hour. <laughs> yeah. It started at 10, um, the office hour started at 10 AM. It was in Fort Lauderdale. I drove up there. Um, founders like, Hey, here's your computer here, are your colleagues, you know, make some calls, whatever. Um, and I just freaked out. Like I just got cold feet and then, uh, you know, classic went to the bathroom, splashed my face, went back to the founder said, I'm so sorry, this isn't for me. And he was just shocked. Mouth dropped. Like what? We just hired you. Um, yeah, I just freaked out. Sales wasn't for me. Um, but it's funny though, because I would say my whole life, I have done some level of sales that was specifically cold prospect prospecting. But when I was younger, um, I would say in high school, I needed to make some money. So I sold hair irons to the teachers and some of the students. Uh, my dad was able to get the hair irons for like $15 and I was reselling them for 80 bucks. Um, that's so awesome. So I was doing stuff like that. Um, when I was like even younger at like sixth grade, um, I, uh, would buy toys like for my the dollar store and like put like a, in the lobby of my apartment building, I'll put a little stand and put the toys on there and try to resell them. So I've done sales sort of when I was younger, but when I had a real sales job and it was official, I quit and it freaked me out. Um, and then I avoided sales like the plague for two, three years, got back into it. When I started doing real estate as an agent, um, Keller Williams, they taught me how to do cold calling and door knocking and really get outside of the comfort zone. That got me to a place where I was like, okay, I like sales now. Um, so let me look for sales job. And then I got myself into the tech, uh, tech startup space. Dude, that is a fun story. Like, I love how you ran away from it and now you're running to it and helping other people run to it as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so why don't we, <clears throat> given that I, I'm really excited to, to start to go into this. One of the, one of the things I love is when you, you shared some of your perspectives on things, as you know, we got about 45,000 sales leaders that listen to this show. We got people in tech and real estate, two of theirs you've been in and manufacturing and finance and a whole bunch that are listening. I'd love to get your take as you work with sales people all over the place now, and you got an organization that's growing, you're doing some really awesome things. You probably are seeing the impact of leadership as you work with some of these people. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. Even, even before, even before I started the business, when I was a VP of sales, I was in the leadership position. Yeah. And then when I started um, FTTC, I'm also seeing it from a different lens, different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. What I, I, I want to start with something that I watched you share with people before. You said the average manager talks about things like, here's the company, here's the product, here's the quota, you know, go listen to these recorded calls versus great manager says, great leader says, here's the problem. Here's how we fix it. Yeah. Here's your quota. Here's how we're going to coach you. And, uh, and and let's go. Can we talk a little bit about what your observations are on what separates average from great or even elite? 
from a leadership perspective? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of um, examples, but I mean, some of the examples, the, the biggest one, and that was, uh, took me a while to figure it out when I was a VP of sales that I took with me afterwards was I used to think that once you get into, you get promoted or hired into a leadership role, VP of sales, sales manager, whatever it is, that you are now the boss. And it now everybody works for you, except the CEO, like the sales team under you works for you. So with that sort of mentality, it's not like the military where there's like a hierarchy and they have to answer yes, sir, no, sir. It's, it's very different. That was my mentality going into it. Over time, I realized that it's the complete opposite. Like the company could still run without a sales leader, but if they don't have a sales team closing the deals, there is no company. And so I, what I realized was the salespeople actually work for the sales leader. Sorry, the sales yeah. leader work for the salespeople, not the other way around. For me, that was a hard pill to swallow because I thought, wow, I'm a VP of sales. I have an official title right now. Um, but now I work for my team and it was really difficult for me to accept that. So let's let's sit in that concept. I think this is big. John Maxwell, I don't know if you read John Maxwell or not, was one of my favorite leadership experts. He has something called the five pillars of leadership, the five P's of leadership. The first two or three, I think would be fun to talk about with you. He says level one is what he calls positional leadership. It's what you said. I got the title, I'm the boss. Level two is permission-based leadership. And, uh, and and that's super interesting because it goes from, okay, I follow you because I have to, to I follow you because I want to. And level three is performance-based. Number three is I follow you because of what you can do for me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and when you were talking, it reminded me of that. I think we have a lot of leaders that are like trying to figure out how to swallow that same pill. It reminds me of the old show that I'm going to date myself here because between the two of us in this call, I'm most certainly the senior citizen. Um there's an old show called Who's the Boss, a little TV uh, sitcom called Who's the Boss. And uh, learning that I think is super interesting that we are here to work for them. And I think that's why your perspective on what great leaders do versus what an average manager does is so important. Why do you think so? So it takes so many le- uh, managers a long time to learn that pill because like you're, you're finding what you're sharing is exactly consistent with what I think other great leaders are saying, but it's a small level of people who get there, man. Not very many people get there. Why do you think that's the case? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is the crap we watch on TV where, um, or, or like, uh, the stuff we read, like, like entertainment, right? Like if you watch yeah. a movie and there's like a company and there's like the boss, like, uh, the, what's that movie? Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Like yeah. the boss is the boss. Like don't, uh-huh. don't screw with the boss or, or boiler room. How do you, how dare you talk back to the boss? Um, even the show we crashed, uh, when yeah. someone, when someone yelled at him, I don't want, it's going to be a spoiler alert, but whatever season eight last episode. So he was giving a pep talk, Adam Newman and, um, somebody from the, his like, employees said step down and he's like how dare you say that to me like what do you mean how dare you say that like what are you like my father and so uh, i think we're it's romanticized to be a a leader um and have this like dominance over your people from movies and shows i think that i I genuinely believe that um it's funny when i was a vp of sales they had to we introduced um sort of like nps scores net promoter scores but surveys for the employees and I was, I assumed that my sales team would be like, oh, more rocks is a phenomenal leader. And I remember, I'll never forget this. Somebody responded back and I, I'm paraphrasing here, but they said, um, he's just a VP of sales because he was given the position. He inherited the position. He didn't earn it. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. That was tough. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, <laughs> but it's also important to recognize 
if you have any toxic employees or salespeople, because if you have a toxic person and they're always going to look at the negative, that particular person that wrote that was toxic to everybody. And we, we had to let him go. But I mean, it still makes you, you know, check yourself and say, hold on. Am I really like that? Am I, am I running around? Am I running the show as if like um, the boss is like, you know, best friend or whatever it is possibly. But I think we're influenced by, by, um, by an old school primitive mentality of what a boss is. Um, maybe our parents taught it to us and, and they were taught it from their jobs. And then we watch movies. And then when somebody goes into the real world, they apply it, they get fired. It doesn't work out. They're like, Oh, that company doesn't work out for me because they were wrong. Not me. Um, I think it takes a lot of introspection. Um, you know, asking for pretty candid feedback from people. Um, that's why I think every company should have sort of like these surveys that go out every quarter or so on. I think you're dead on, man. I think most leaders, because there's not that much in uh, thrown at sales leadership development. I see a lot of companies have like general, especially the bigger companies, they'll have like general leadership development. I, I see, I get introduced to a lot of those, but the, the discipline of sales leadership is different than just general leadership. In my opinion, it's just, it's a, it's a little different because the, the world of sales is so different. So let's sit in that for a minute. I, I'd love to like peel this one apart and deconstruct it a little bit. This concept of what it means to work for them. Like this, it starts probably with your mindset. Like you talked about that they're the boss and, and I work for them, but like, let's put a little context around this. We've got a lot of people that are listening to us right now. And some of them are driving in their car or walking their dog or whatever, sitting at their desk. I'd like to like, let's, let's put a little context around what it means to work for them. Where do you think that starts after we say, okay, I'm here to serve or to help or work for them. But what does that, what does that lead us to do as a sales leader in your mind? Tactically, what that means is <clears throat> instead of asking the team, Hey, what do you need help with? Look, it's better to pay attention to their day to day and, look for gaps of where they're struggling and then proactively recognize it and then do something about it. So for example, if I'm, if, I mean, a lot of people are working remote right now, but let's assume, let's take the example of somebody not working remote, they're in the office and they're seeing their reps, not even having time to grab a lunch or sit down for a good solid lunch because there's on calls. And you're noticing that as a, as a VP of sales or a sales manager, whatever it is, you know, it would be really nice if you order their them lunch brought it to their desk or said, Hey, let me take care of like, uh, you know, you can pause what you're doing right now. No worries. Come already lunch for you. Like that gesture doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on revenue, right? It's not like you're helping them close a the deal, but you're helping them their morale. So I think that's an example of like be proactive with your behavior with them. Um, another one is if you see that they're struggling in a certain area, um, then maybe get them a, a, a course of, for some skill that they can work on. Um, maybe take them to get them a master, whatever it is, what, whatever they're, 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 uh, they're struggling on. So I think that that's an example of it. If an another one was, I used to think that every, when I was a VP of sales, I used to think that every rep would respond, or I should speak to the same rep to each rep, the same way I speak to one rep. So when I'd go to one rep and I'd have a more, uh, call it aggressive approach and cross constructive criticism, I would use that across the board problem is some reps are built differently. Some are more sensitive. Some can take it. Just, I have two kids. So I speak to them slightly different depending on their temperament and personality. And I think tactically as a leader, if you see a rep that is more sensitive in the way you behave uh, or the, in the way they, they receive information, then you need to change the way you mm. communicate to them. 
Um, one thing that you can tactically do as leader also is, and I think a lot of leaders get this wrong, is they criticize the rep in public, and then they they not I want to say promote them, but they applaud them sort of very quietly. So if they do something really well, the leader will be like, "Oh, good job." But if they do something really bad, the leader is on top of them and like really chewing them out. I what I when I learned over time is criticize or constructive uh, criticize constructively in private so no one else hears it. And anything anytime the rep does something good, make it very public. So empower the rep. So these are some like tactical stuff you can do. That one for me was a big one, right? Like if the rep does something really good and you're in the office, like ring the bell for them, like stand up, make a speech, like really hype them up. Um, if it's over Zoom, if you're working remotely, then go on Slack and throw a bunch of emojis and do like, you know, congratulations, Rob, you killed it today. You did this, like really hype them up. Consider even doing a LinkedIn post uh, if you want to. Uh, I know some companies where they do like Gong, Devin Reed recently left Gong. And so Gong made a whole post about, you know, saying goodbye to Devin Reed. Like yeah. companies should do that for their people if they had a really good month or a really good day, a really good quarter, whatever it is. I love that. Look, can we sit in coaching for a minute? I'd love to get your take on this proactive idea of, of helping people improve. Do you, any thoughts about how you get people to sign up or enroll or buy into this concept? Um, I, I think that's one of the things that I, as I work with a lot of coaching, to me, it's super important to have the rep say, yes, I want this or more. I choose you to be my coach, not just my manager. Because yes, you're right. we got to be in, 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 in involved with that. I, but I, I, I know there's a lot of leaders who talk to me and say, man, I try to coach and I, I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere sometimes. Any thoughts around that concept of enrollment or connection or how do you get a rep to say, man, thank you for doing this rather than maybe resisting this. Any, any insights or thoughts around that? Yeah. I think, I think if you find any rep that is resisting, it's either one to two things. One, okay. they're not a coachable rep, which happens more often than not. So it, it, there's nothing that you can really do or two, you've done something to jeopardize their trust in you um, as a sales leader. So one you can fix, well, you can fix in hindsight, but you can fix moving forward. So if you're there's like a sales leader listening to this episode and they're about to do make some hiring change or hire more reps, whatever it is. One of the things that you need to be um, looking for criteria is hiring for coachability. So when I used to hire and doing interviews, I would spend a lot of time on coachability type of related interview questions. Um, and what that looks like is I'll have the rep, I'll ask the rep to do maybe a pitch or role play something. I'll listen, I'll listen to how they do it. I'll provide them feedback. And then I constantly provide them feedback to see if they were resistant to it or they're like, oh yeah, you're right. I should try that. But if I can see there's a slight attitude or resistant to my, my feedback, then that could be a problem. Um, and so the way, so my first recommendation, hire for coachability. Otherwise, if you have an uncoachable rep, an uncoachable rep, you won't be successful. If you broke their trust at one point, it's possible. Um, then my advice is when you are coaching the rep, Instead of you telling them what they should do, ask them what they think they need to do. So I do right. this with my students now right now. Yes, let's talk about this. I love where you're going right now. Like I can't wait for this conversation, man. Yeah. So right now with my students, um, like a lot, like coach, even the companies that I work with, they have sales managers and they have AEs under them. But what, so we'll listen to a call together, and I'll make a list of you know pros that they did well on the call, and then areas of improvement on the call where they need to focus on. 
And when we're done with the section, a module of the call recording of their call recording, instead of me saying, all right, Rob, like, here's what you did really well. Here's what you need to improve. I'll say something like, hey, Rob, all right, I want you to self-assess. What do you think you did really well? And then I'm having the rep to answer that question. I'm having them talk positively about themselves. That empowers the rep, that builds their confidence. And if they're, they're right about it, like, yes, if they miss something, I'll say, oh, by the way, Rob, you totally missed that you also did this really well. So I have them self-assess. Then we're done with that. We go into the area of improvement. I'll say, hey, Rob, where do you think you could have improved? Where do you think you, you, you didn't do so well? And then you'll provide me the feedback. And then I'll say, well, where do you think you should, what, what, what do you think you should do next time? So you're actually coaching. I'm doing, I'm just sort of like, uh, directing, but you're doing the coaching. Um, that makes the rep feel more empowered. Um, and then at the end of the call, I'll say something like, hey, Rob, like out of all the stuff that we talked about of, of areas that you can improve on, what's the one skill you want to focus on for the next two weeks? I let you choose the skill. That helps the rep you know, take ownership, accountability. And now they can never come to me and say, oh, well, you told me I should focus on it. No, you, you said you should focus on that. Um, and so that's a big part of it. Even, even if you're, if I'm not doing coaching, when I was a VP of sales and I'd have one-on-ones with my reps, we'd listen to a call together. We'd look at their deal strategy and I would ask them, what do you think we should do? And then if I agreed more or less with their, their idea, um, unless it was like a horrible idea, but if I agreed with it, then I'd say, okay, well, let's do that. And, and follow up with me in, in a couple of weeks. Let me know how it is. So now I'm, I'm taking my power sort of as a VP and I'm sort of shifting it. I'm giving them my, uh, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm Jewish. So I have, uh, you know, Joseph and, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh gave Great, Joseph yeah. his ring and he yep. had, he was second in command. So I did the same thing. I'd give sort of my power to the reps and make them sort of second in command and have them run the show a little bit. Okay. I want to, I want to put a little structure. I want to like, I want to label some of the things you just did again for our listeners. What a great story you've just given us. Thank you. First of all, for sharing this. I want to ask you a question. I love your approach. I'm I'm calling it self-correct. Teach them to Mm -hmm. self-correct so they don't self-destruct. Right. And, and um, when you do that, I'm going to guess based on what, what my experiences have been, when you're asking them, what did you think? Here's what I'm going to guess. Tell me if I'm wrong. And I I want all of our listeners to hear this because I think this will be really helpful for them. I'm going to guess when you take that approach, many reps are conditioned that they're almost like a dog that's used to been beaten, that they're ready to hear what they screwed up on, right? They're ready to hear like where I suck. And I love this because if you say, what did you think you did great? I'm going to guess that you find your reps often don't give themselves enough credit, but on the flip side, they're way too hard on themselves on where they could have done better. hundred percent. So, so that's why I love starting. I, I was coaching a sales, but I don't coach very many salespeople, but I was coaching one just this week, helping on board someone the company is slammed. And they said, Rob, will you help me on board this one person? We just need to go. And so we did, and we, we got really focused on situations instead of product. And it was fun because we put them on the phones faster and, and I listened, I was in there with him when it was done. I remember asking, we'll, we'll call him John. John, how do you think you did? That's why I asked, how do you think you did? And he immediately went to the negative. And I said, time out. Let's ask it a different way. What did you do well? To your point, right? He said one thing. And I said, dude, let me tell you three things that I think were like way, way better than I would have ever expected. And I watched them like grow right in front of my eyes. And, and so I, any advice to leaders on making sure like, 
I think that they're going to be harder on themselves and they often won't give themselves enough credit either because they may not have enough belief, maybe because they're new, or maybe they're just conditioned to that. How, how do, with that advice to leaders for how they can remember that self-correction, like what you said, they're going to be hard on themselves. Yeah. Don't give themselves the credit and they won't, they won't like recognize the greatness. I think coaching is just as much about recognizing (laughs) what you do well as where you can improve my opinion. No, I agree. I, I yeah. tell the students uh, that thing that you just did, I want you to do that on every call. But it's really important to Good. when you're giving the positive feedback that you're it's not you're not giving it like passively where it's almost like obvious. Meaning if you notice when a lot of people give feedback and not positive feedback, more constructive feedback, areas of improvement, they're spending a lot of time saying like, no, but you didn't do it like this. So they're spending a lot of time on that. And then they're spending very little time on the positive feedback. So for example, if it takes them 20 words to give them positive feed, uh, negative feedback, they're only t- giving five words for positive feedback. So I always, I always, when I was VP of sales, I always did it. When I gave, let's say I gave, uh, 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 I used five words. I'll use the same example. If I said, hey, Rob, you uh, could have improved the call by doing X, Y, Z. I thought you can do this. I thought you can do that. Now, when it's time for me to talk about like the positive feedback, I'm like overdoing it. I'm like really hyping it. I'm like, Rob, I got to tell you, like the stuff that you just did was incredible. I'm, 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 comp- I'm overcompensating for the negative stuff that I told you. Yeah. Um, that's something, there was something that I used to do. Um, oh, I just slipped my mind. Oh, th- this sort of bleeds into it, but I think it like, it's like empowers the reps. A lot of v- sales leaders do these one-on-ones and it's always about like deal strategizing, call recording, whatever it is. It's always the VP or the sales leader to the rep. I used to do something interesting. I used to flip it around and we'd have a one-on-one. We'd go into the office and I'd say, all right, Rob, um, today I will not be uh, you know, giving you the one-on-one. You're going to give me the one-on-one. Tell me where you want Sweet. me to improve. And then I'd say in the next meeting, I want to spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes at the end of the meeting. I'm going to come prepared and tell me where I could have improved for that week. It was such a game changer to do that, to give them that power of giving me constructive feedback. Um, and that makes the rep feel like, oh, this person really cares about making my life a lot easier. There's too much ego that goes around that we don't do that. The, my, my other thing I love about what you said, you know, they're going to focus on the negative, help balance that with the positive because we don't get that. You, you finished with pick one thing. I love that. Pick one thing. Let's not try and do too many things. Pick one thing and let's get great at that because that's probably your secret to getting like consistent improvement. So you're not like yeah. bearing them. I also think I'd love your, your take on this more. Um, I think too many times sales leaders and reps have like this good conversation, but they don't finish with a commitment. I don't think it's a real coaching session if there's not a commitment on something that's going to happen as a result. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we do it on sales calls, right? We want to yeah. make sure we end the sales call with next steps and and action items. Um, every one-on-one should end with that, even if it's the dumbest thing. Even if it was like a very passive 15-minute one-on-one, there should be some sort of next step. It could be a light next step, whatever it is. But yes, end it with an action item. Um, I would recommend when you're done doing a one-on-one with your rep, after that, either you could do one of two things. You can send out a follow-up email to the rep afterwards, summarizing the one-on-one that you had with an action item. Or you can tell the rep, hey, rep, Let's, can you, you're empowering them, right? So you tell them, send me a, a review of our, uh, of the action items that you, your ideas that you had in the meeting, just send it to me. So we have a copy. So I want, I want to partner up with a rep 
versus me saying like, I'm your boss, this is what you got to do. Um, so when I put make the rep do some work <clears throat> and they're accountable, they end up feeling like they're part of something and they're not just being pushed around. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- that's a big one. There's another one that I do. And this is more for hiring. Um, okay. When I hire or when I hired, when I was a VP, I would make a document called um, uh, expectations. It's called expectations. That would be the title of the document. It's Google Doc. And on the document, it would say it would have uh, it would be split in two parts. The first part on the top would say what I expect from you as the new hire. So it's called what do I expect from you? And on the bottom half of the paper of the document, it says what should what you should expect from me. And what I expect from you has a list all the bullet points of my expectations of the new hire. So I expect you to be coachable. I expect you to be open minded. I expect you to 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 fall, to be on top of your CRM and make sure you fill out the call notes. What you should expect from me, you should expect honesty. You should expect transparency. You should expect this. You should expect me to follow up. So I, I give them that. And then I tell the rep, and I want you to make one for me. I want you to make a document as a rep saying what I should expect from you and what do you expect from me as a manager. I do this literally every hire. That's part of my onboarding. And we have a one-on-one afterwards reviewing the documents together and we both sign it. And now we're each accountable. And we're there's no way that when someone says, I didn't know that. We're, I just set the expectations and they set their expectations. Dude, I have never heard that before. I've been in this game for a long time. I feel like I've heard a lot of things. That's genius. How, how long have you been doing that one? I mean, where'd you, did you just kind of come up with that? No, no, I didn't come up with you. No, I'm not going to take credit for something I didn't come up with. Um, <clears throat> no, it's so awesome. I, I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I, when I first heard about it, I'm like, oh, it's very corporate-y. But like I did, I'm like, wow, like I love it. Um, I, when I was a VP of sales at Practice Panther, one of the first companies I was a VP of sales for, um, we, after just four years in that company, it got acquired. Um, during the acquisition part, um, the VC, the private equity firm that, that acquired them, had their processes. And that's a document that they had between them and the founders and the CEOs. Mm. And so the founder and CEO had the document with me. I was like, wow, this is great. I want to do this with my team. And so when I moved into another VP of sales role, I just kept repeating that process for every new job that I had. I, I- for all of our members, uh, the, our listeners that are also members of Sales Leadership United, this is I'll turn this into a, one of our video segments that we share. I, I love this because what it screams to me more is that you're creating clarity. Um, I, I think clarity is the catalyst for speed, and speed is what you need if you want to have high performance. And, uh, and a lot of times we struggle on how to create clarity because we think what we've said is clear, uh, but mixed messages happen all this eliminates that. I mean, there's no way you're not going to have clarity with something like that unless I'm right. No, you're 1000%. And if there was, and if in the future you have a conversation with your rep and there is a miscommunication there and that miscommunication is about like, oh, you should have done this or you should have done that. You can tell the rep, well, if I screwed up, let me check that document that you should expect from me. If that's what you wanted me to do. And if it's missing from that document, you, you update the document, you send it to the rep. And vice versa. If, like, I remember I had a rep <clears throat> that he, uh, we used to have one-on-ones, but this was when we were back in the office, but he would uh, uh, roll over with his chair next to my desk and we would have our one-on-one sort of together and go over deal review. And I remember he would get really frustrated. And so I pulled him aside one time. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm noticing you're getting frustrated. Like, what can I do to help? He says, I just don't like it when we're doing our one-on-ones in the open floor space where other sales reps could hear. I, I don't like it. It really pissed me off. I'm like, hmm. would you rather us do it in private? He goes, yes. So every other rep, we did it in public, but this particular rep was very you know, fragile to it. And so we did it in private. And so I went to that document, the expectation document, 
and I updated it. And for him, it was, I will always do our one-on-one meetings in private. And then I sent it to him. So great. All right. So I can't believe this, dude. We're down to our last 15 minutes. I want to get into a couple of other, like we started with who's the boss. We work for them. One of the areas we talked about some tech, some tactical things that got into being coachable to work for them. Uh, there's a couple of, of things I've been taking notes. I'm on, I'm, I have lots of notes. I want to like ask about a couple of things that might fall into a framework of how we work for them. Cause I think that's a really cool way for this episode to be framed up for our listeners. We work for them. Here are a few things. What's, what's the role of environment. You've referred to this a few times, like creating this environment where they can succeed. Is that, is any thoughts about the, the elite leaders uh, role in working for them? Where does environment or culture fit into that? So if you're remote, it's a little bit <clears throat> more difficult, but um, let's start with environment in terms of in, uh, empowering, uh, positioning the reps for success. That could be sales training, sales coaching. And I, it may sound biased because I'm saying that because I have my sales training and coaching no. business, but, but it's, I, I did it for that. Um, when I was a VP of sales um, for a few startups, like they were, the, the companies were on a very tight budget. Um, and it took me a while to figure out that like, if the company's on a tight budget and they're not even willing to buy a sales book for the rep, I'll pay out of pocket for the sales book. So um, that, that could be it. So I think part of creating an environment for the rep to succeed is investing in the rep. Because if the rep does really well, then that has a residual effect and you do really well as a a sales leader and so on and so forth. If the rep does bad, it's on you. So that means investing in sales coaching. That means investing in sales training. That means um, if they need uh, to take a day off because they had, you know, someone got let go for whatever reason that really has like a negative effect on the environment, tell them to take the day off Um, incentives. It doesn't always have to be monetary. It could be non-monetary incentives. So if, if you know that your rep loves golf, that's like a passion of theirs and it's, you know, you see them in, you're, they're doing well, then maybe get them a, a pass to like a country club or uh, what's that place where you can hit the golf, uh, forgot the name of it, but whatever it is, but do something that is more emotional to them, less monetary. Um, that's important. I, and then the reason I'm talking about sales coaching and training is because I thought when I was a, a VP of sales, if I got pitched about sales coaching and training, I immediately shut it down. Because I'm like, that is my job. How dare you? You're, 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 uh, you're I'm, right. I'm, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm threatened by you. So I, hell no, I don't want training. So I was very selfish about it. If I were a selfless leader, I would have been like, sales training. Okay, well, maybe this could be helpful for the reps. It's a very hard pill to swallow. That's why some of the companies that I work with that have a sales manager and then they're like, they love the sales coaching, I respect so much because that takes a lot of removal of ego to be willing to take somebody else that has a particular set of skills like the movie taken um, yeah, I was and, thinking and, the same thing yeah, <laughs> and help the rep. It's, it's not about you. It's about the rep. And, and then because of that, it becomes about you afterwards. Like the company does well when, when the, when the reps improve, that's why I find it like if I can have a blunt conversation with, with sales leaders and be like, why aren't you investing in sales training? Why aren't you, you know, when you're saying you have unlimited PTO and you don't, and you and the rep wants to go away. You're like, oh, you can't this month. Like, is it like I don't know? You have to practice what you preach. You know, what I mean, like a lot of people put on their um, their job descriptions all these benefits, but when the job actually starts, they don't fall through. Um, Dude, you're dead on. We could do a whole episode on this. You're right. Sales leaders often have felt, oh, well, that's my job. If I can't provide that, then I'm going to be slitting my own throat. Like I'm going to be setting myself up that I'm not 
No, like a guy like you more brings perspective. It's not just like, because many sales leaders, all we know is what we've seen. We have this one thing. And so a guy like you that works with lots of companies and you bring, you're an expert in discovery, like we talked about. And if we have time, I'd love to have you share one or two points on discovery to help people like think about that. You pull this back and say, here's a couple of other ways of thinking about that you just haven't been introduced to yet. And that's awesome. Not only will it help the reps, it'll help that leader, right? So yeah, it's like I'm not trying to. I trust me. Like even if you're getting pitched by Sandler or any other sales coach, I doubt they want to take a sales leadership position. Otherwise, they would not have their company. Like I have no interest in in work. Like if I'm pitching somebody and cold calling, cold emailing them to to for a sales training, I have no interest in replacing them. That's not my job. I have no right. interest. Right. All right. So we talked a little bit. So so far, our, our model of. Uh, how we how we have them we work for them they're the boss number one is we're focused on being proactive in their success that led to your thoughts on coaching that led to a little bit on environment and and uh, i got a couple of others that i want to hit real quick and then we'll kind of wrap things up i can't believe we're down to 10 minutes i told you it's gonna go fast man yeah. it's crazy um what about managing up if, if if you're the person that's that's working on their behalf does managing up and, and helping manage expectations does, does that fall into this at all when you say managing up can you elaborate yeah like going to bat for them with maybe the more senior people or or what's the quota expectation or what's what yeah. what are the expectations of this sales team because a lot of times they're hyper growth and like all of a sudden we have these really unrealistic expectations or maybe they're not equipped the right way like what are the things we do to manage up, you as a sales leader, you're managing the senior, the more people that are above, so you can create that environment you want for those members of the sales team. <clears throat> yeah, I'll tell you a, a personal story. I won't name any names, but and I made a post about this, but when I was a VP of sales at a startup, um, the sales rep had a certain quota. It was really the first year of the startup. And then they were starting to hit their quota. And then it was time for us to like adjust the quota and make it better for the reps. But the the... So we adjusted the quota. It was beneficial, advantageous for the reps. And then the CEO told me at one point, he's like, yeah. And then in maybe in three more months or six more months, we're going to adjust it again. And then maybe again before the new year, we'll adjust it again to a higher quota and a higher amount and all the targets and all that. And I thought for a minute, I'm like, that's really annoying as a rep. If I'm constantly hitting my target, but then the target's constantly being moved. I'm just like, what's my motivation? Don't make it difficult to hit targets make it sort of realistic challenging but very realistic and so i said to him i said and let's assume his name was rob i said hey rob i mean i'm curious i remember in my previous company was a could you make sales. me the bad guy more come yeah. on man but now when i was a vp of sales in my previous company i remember we did this and it had a negative effect on the reps when we kept changing the uh, the quota and it was a moving target morale went down and i fear i'm concerned that this could happen again and i want to keep the morale up because that's what makes them perform i mean what are your thoughts and he responded, yeah, I'm concerned. I said, okay, yeah. He's like, no, no, I'm concerned that you're even thinking that way. You shouldn't be thinking about what if my reps are concerned about a moving target. You should be thinking, yes, we're going to hit these numbers. How do we hit these? And I said, but there's a reality to, to this. I've worked with reps before. I know, how they're, I know how they're thinking. A moving target, every time they hit their quota, is going to affect morale. And he called me out on almost caring about the reps too much. Um, and I remember wow. when, I, so I essentially went to bat for the reps at that point. And I thought, wow, being a VP of sales, you're always under the gun. Um, and it's a very tough job because you're a sandwich. You're, you're having to please the founders and, and CEOs and you're having to please the reps. And so, and then you're playing this middleman. Um, so that's an example of going at bat. I, I, it wasn't really tactical, just a story I wanted to share. 
um, a tactical story. And I had this uh, sort of debate with Kevin Dorsey. His okay. belief is don't do the work for the rep. So if there's a call that you want them to, you know, maybe make a call and show them by example, don't show them by example, by actually doing the call for them, show them what to do and have them do it and support them. I would argue back and I would say, no, you could show them by example. If you look and we're going to use military examples, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, militaries, Navy SEALs, whatever it is, they're the, the leader, the commander of that group, that unit, a lot doesn't sit back and just tell them what to do. He's in the front lines and taking lead and he sh he's showing them how it's done, so to speak. So if, if there is a, a, a deal that the rep is trying to close and you feel that sometimes, and I, and I genuinely believe this, that in order for the deal to close, sometimes, sometimes you need to bring somebody in from, a, from an altitude. So a VP of sales, CEO, whatever it is, yep. bring them in and have them call the prospect and try to close that deal. Big believer in that. I believe do it for the deals that are, are counting. It's like the big, big revenue deals or for the reps that are struggling to freaking hit their quota, come in and, and give them a little bit of a push. If they see that you support them, you're getting in, getting dirty with them, then that's another way you can lead from the top. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I would probably fall in between both you and KD. I, I, I'm a fan of both of you. I think that showing is part of good leading. And then you just have to have a plan on how you transfer that into having them be the one who does it. Because I've seen a lot of leaders become a crutch instead of a coach where people keep relying on them to do it. Right. And, uh, and so that I, I like that example. That's a really good one. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Kate, Katie's example is like, you didn't see Phil Jackson going in and, and playing for Michael Jordan. Yeah. That's just, it's a, it's, you know, it's fine. It's, a, it's an example, but that's basketball. We're talking about sales and, and it's different. I hear the example, but to an extent, yeah, you could be, you could end up being a crutch, but if you do it once, it doesn't mean you have to do it every time. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I just think, well, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, my model is show, share, see, show them how to do it, share the responsibility of doing it, and then ask to see how they do it. That's, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. That's, that's my model. Show, share, see. All right. So we talked about managing up a little bit. Uh, I, I love your thoughts about you, you, you mentioned just a second uh, about like, this moving target. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I, I want to hit it because I, I know you have a perspective on it. What's the role of the leader and like protecting the money, you know, the compensation plans, like what, what percentage of reps do you think should hit goal? And with these moving targets, it's not just goals that change. People try to change comp plans. And if, yeah. if, you're, if you're working for your reps, any thoughts about how you help them with comp? Yeah. So I think my opinion on what percent, what should be the, the quota attainment percentage average, I think it should be between 70 to 75, 80 for some companies, but 75 is a solid place to be. I think 50 is ridiculous. Yeah. Only half of your reps can hit. And right quota. now it's less than half is the industry average. It's, 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 it's below half. Yeah. Because I think for a lot of, uh, for a lot of industries during COVID did really well, like e-commerce, and so it was, it's really easy to succeed when the market is doing really well, but when the market's a little bit tough, it's harder. So, um, yeah, so I think 75 is, is, a, is a great place. It should be very, real, very realistic, slightly challenging, um, but not unrealistic. Um, that's the thing. The moment you get into the mentality of I work for my reps, you are going to bat at more and you'll probably have like head-to-head uh, -head conversations with the CEOs. The problem is VCs are getting or putting pressure on CEOs around numbers Yep. CEOs are creating unrealistic forecasts. It's the job of the VP of sales to make it realistic. What I'd recommend is looking at historic data. So when I was a VP of sales, what I did was I looked at the last six months of deals that were closed, the revenue that was closed. I averaged it out and I said, okay, well, on average, we closed X amount of, of dollars and X amount of deals. So let's make the 
new, the quota goal slightly higher than that because it's achievable based on new marketing and, and marketing initiatives that are coming in. Um, really I'm good. You a, I'm giving you a very long-winded answer. but, um, but And then don't change comp often. Um, if, if this is more for a startup. I know more established companies don't change comp. And biggest, my biggest like advice to anyone that's like building like a cop model is make it really ridiculously simple to understand. It, it, it I, I, and I have, I, I'm working with somebody that they have a very complex comp model, and I'm like, can you explain it to me? And the founder, co-founder, is explaining to me. He's like, hold on, wait a minute, I have to. Let me call you back. I don't understand. <laughs> and he's going back, and he, I'm like, make yeah. it simple. Make it really, really simple. Comp plans often become a stress factor rather than a passion factor for reps. And that surprises people. Um, what you're just describing is a stress factor. They just like, are like, they hope they end up getting something and they're glad they got it rather than like, and, and they feel like I earned it. I should get it. And that's true. Um, when your comp plan or your way, way you compensate reps becomes a source of stress rather than a source of passion for your reps, yeah. you're doing something wrong. I also think it's really important. I mean, I spent a lot of time doing this. Like you said earlier, there's not enough coaching and material and and, uh, training for sales leaders. Like there is plenty for sales reps, not for sales leaders. I also don't think there's enough education and training for sales leaders and individual reps around, let's just say, equity and you know stock options. There's not enough of that, so that's really important. Yeah, I think part of being a sales leader is educate the reps beyond just their like day to day activity. So if they have they get options have a one have like a workshop in the company teaching them how to do it. We used to do this at one of my old companies where we would have the CEO would have uh, workshops every so often. Hmm. And the workshop would be about like how to improve your credit score, how to like have build a side hustle. And he would actually invite the reps um, that had a specific skill set, like a passion to talk about. It. So one rep had a passion for editing videos. And so we have like every quarter, every week, whatever it was. Wow. I like that the rep would lead the workshop. So that, that was something that was really interesting. That makes it really fun. Um, another love thing is, that. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of reps know how to um, read like their pipeline and forecast. VPs of sales do that, but I don't think the reps know how to forecast and they rely on the VPs of sales or the sales managers to do the forecasting with them during one-on-ones. Teach the reps how to look at numbers and forecast for themselves because one of the things I, 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 when I was a VP of sales is I teach them how to calculate run rate, look at your open deals, mm. look at open revenue, look at your closed deals and closed revenue, calculate it based on the days of uh, how many days are passed already in the month. And you can calculate the runway, essentially what you are forecasted to close for the end of the month. And if you teach the rep how to do that, then they can keep track of their own commission. The problem is they're relying on their managers to do that for them. It's just I not good. It. More. This has been so awesome. I, I love how we've hit seven or eight topics all inside a framework of we are here to work for our reps. They're the boss, right? And these are things that we've got to be good at if we want to be that kind of leader that's a leader worth working for, a leader that we can trust. I, I love it. We're, we, we've used up all the time, man. And so I, I want to I wanna wrap it up two ways. First, how do people get more of you? How do they connect to you? How do they pick up what you're putting down? We didn't even get into the discovery stuff I wanted to get into. Uh, you help solve what I think might be the most important part of the sales process is learning how to connect to what matters and do discovery right. I, I would love to have you come back on and maybe maybe dive into that again. H- how do they get more of you? How do they how do they pick up what you're putting down? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much on every social platform. Um, you can, if you go to my website, demo to close.com, I have a link to my podcast there. I have a link to my TikTok, my YouTube channel, my LinkedIn. Um, and, and we'll put those links in the show notes. We'll make sure that I have all of our listeners cool. have access to those as well. We'll put all those links in. Um, so yeah, I would say follow more. If you haven't connected with him, you, you got just, all you got is a taste of this dude right now. And so I, I would say connect. Uh, and I hope they do. We're, we're really out of time, but let me ask, let me finish with this. Is there any final thoughts? We've had a killer conversation today more. I'm a, I, I respect your work so much. Any final thoughts for 45,000 sales leaders that are kind of soaking it up with you right now? Yeah. I think my mistake that I didn't do when I was a VP of sales that I'd recommend anyone to do is get a mentor or coach, invest in one if you don't have one. Um, cause if you're trying to figure it out on your own, you're, you're potentially, you could get fired along the way because you're going to have to make mistakes to figure it out. So why not just hire somebody that's done it before, teach you how to do it, and then you don't have to get fired and you, the learning curve shrinks. Okay. That is, that is, I agree with that. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, right? Get a coach. Uh, yeah. Get a coach. Get a coach. More. I love it. He, uh, he's helping people understand who's the boss in, in a modern way helping sales leaders have greater impact with the people they lead and, and create sales teams that are highly effective. And he's one of the top experts in the world on getting discovery, right? There's a guy that I I'm so grateful that we had join us more. Thank you so much for joining the sales leadership podcast today. And as I say to everyone, my friend, happy selling. Thanks Rob. Appreciate it. Hey everyone. Welcome to another. So what portion of the sales leadership podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. And if you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, do me a favor and check it out today because our sales, our jobs as sales leaders is hard, and, and really hard. And there aren't a lot of resources for sales leaders to turn to. And the fact is that most companies that spend millions in sales training and sales tools and sales process and salespeople... They spend almost nothing for sales leadership process, sales leadership training, and, and the only sales leadership tools we get are rolled up dashboards. And while it's true that companies should do more to develop the sales leaders on the team, the fact is they don't most of the time. And that's why I created Sales Leadership United. It's the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets and resources. It's growing larger and larger every day as sales leaders around the world are signing up to create access to the world's largest collection of leadership assets available. Now, I don't care if you're a new sales leader. We've got lots of them that are benefiting. We, I don't care if you're one that's been leading teams for years. We've got tons of those too. You're going to find everything you need to help create more impact with those you lead faster. You'll find it on Patreon. It's like a Home Depot for sales leaders. And you're going to find video excerpts of this episode and all of our podcasts in three to five minute segments, all tagged and organized by topic. You're going to find well over 100 hours of my very best content, sales leadership training materials, sales leadership materials, leadership systems, one-on-one -on -one coaching systems, and much, much more. New materials added every single week, and it stays ridiculously current. You'll find every single thing you need to become an elite sales leader in the current environment in Sales Leadership United. So don't go reinventing sales leadership. Invest in yourself because you're worth it. Tap into proven training and techniques used by some of the most successful sales in the world and head over to Sales Leadership United today. Now, I want to also thank our listeners. We're well over 40,000 people downloading the show each month. It's just getting bigger and bigger. 
Uh, it's mind-boggling to me how many of you are listening around the world. Many of you reach out every week and give me feedback and connect on LinkedIn and share your stories of how you've used the episodes in your journey. Please keep them coming. They fire me up. I love hearing them. So thank you because there is no show without you. I only do this because I love the sales leadership community and I'm grateful that so many of you find this show helpful. So thank you. Your support of the show has been humbling and inspiring and I'll keep bringing killer guests to you each week. Now, more. How great was that episode with more? I've been a fan of his for a long time, and I hope you understand a little bit more why now after listening to this conversation. And if you liked what you heard today, you need to connect with him because you're going to like what he puts down on places like LinkedIn. Listen, I love Moore's framework for sales leadership success. It's really straightforward, and if you choose to follow it, you're going to for sure see your team grow and grow quickly right in front of your eyes. And I think the first step of his framework is the one that is unfortunately the most overlooked. If all you do is do one thing that Moore says, and he gave us a really great framework that I'll summarize again at the end of this, go to that very first one because I work with a lot of sales leaders. I see a lot of what good looks like. Unfortunately, I see a lot of what less than good looks like. And I think if you just do what Moore says in step one, you almost immediately will become a better leader. And that step, number one, Simple. Be proactive in their, and by their I mean meaning the reps' success. Your role isn't to hit a team goal. It's to take a proactive role in helping your reps achieve their goals and objectives. This is an important thing to really understand. I love how Moore started by identifying that being a leader does not make you the boss. He shared a story in his first leadership position that he had where he thought he was the boss, but he wasn't. And that this became a hard pill to swallow. It was a hard lesson for him to learn. And it's understandable. I mean, we work hard. We get this job. And, you know, often we just kind of do what was done to us. And so we've, 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 we've all heard that we should work for those we lead. But I love to ask him the question, what does that really mean, really? It was a great conversation. Go back and listen to it a couple times. Because getting this right. The answer to the question, what does it really mean to work for those you lead? That's the almost immediate difference maker if you want to create elite impact with those you lead. So ask yourself, what does it mean to really work for those you lead? Moore answers it as clearly as you possibly can answer it. What Moore identifies is that it's about being proactive in the individual development of every single rep, meaning it's an individual game. It's not a collective game. This isn't about efficiency. This is about effectiveness. What what Moore talks about is that you need to be actively looking for it. He talks about how people will be more negative than positive most of the time. So that means you've got to be on high alert. You can't just be sitting behind spreadsheets. You've got to be observing them in action. You're not just going to take what the data says. Listen, data never lies, but it's never telling the whole story either. And, and, And data by itself is not going to help you teach people to do their job, teach them to self-correct, teach them to work on their mindset, teach them how to have optimism, how to find the things they're doing great, choosing the one thing at a time that you need to improve and doing that. Listen, this is a great episode. Moore simplifies the job of being a sales leader. And he boils it down to six things as I took notes. Number one, be proactive in their success. Be an advocate and an energy source for every member of the team. Number two, become great at coaching. This is a really important and very specific skill. It will take time. It will take commitment. Most sales leaders think they're awesome at coaching, and most reps that work for them think they're only okay. So turn this into something that you develop as a massive skill. Um, 
I, I can't talk about this one enough. Teach them to self-correct. You know, the conversation that Moore and I had on coaching um, and coachability, that's something everyone should listen to a couple of times. In fact, I'm going to take the video snippet of that and I'm going to put it live in Sales Leadership United so you could download it and have that. Um, create an environment where the motivated concede. That's number three. Okay, number three, after, after you've been proactive, after you get great at coaching, then you got to create this environment where the motivated can succeed. Four is create clarity. Clarity and expectations, but also in what to expect. I loved his suggestion of having every rep make their own version of what they think should be expected. You should also create clarity and comp. He talked about keeping it simple. Really good conversation. Last one he talked about was was clarity and what good looks like. That That's one of those things that's almost an immediate difference maker between success and failure. Number five, manage up and have your team's back. And then number six, celebrate. In a world of loud, amplified voices who claim to be experts, I'm telling you, more Asseline is someone that we could all use a little, well, more of. <clears throat> if there's one thing you take from this, take his advice of not ever forgetting that you're not the boss. Your success only is seen in the improvement and the success of others. So make it your business to understand and act the part. Get to work for them. And more doesn't mean that we need to do their job for them. That's one of the biggest mistakes we often make as we try to take over. What more means is we have to learn how to help them improve faster than if they were left to their own merits. So they're not out there on an island. Help them become more. Help demystify that maze of intentional improvement. And once you do that, you will find that not only does your impact become greater, but the satisfaction you have in the job, it grows by leaps and bounds. So more, thanks so much for joining me. I am so appreciative that you'd share your insights with our leaders listening in around the world. If we all try to implement even just a little of Moore's approach, every member of your team will benefit almost immediately. To our listeners, do yourself a favor and follow his work. Moore's a fantastic coach and a leadership expert worth following. I love what he's doing and I hope each of you will give him a look. If you haven't connected with Moore, be sure to do so. His perspective and his insights will help you become a better and more impactful leader. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you liked this episode, head out and give to iTunes and give us a five-star review. It goes a long way in helping me continue to get the best guests in the world on our show. Many of you have asked me how you can help support the show. I don't have a sponsor. I have chosen not to. So you can do this in two ways. The first is to check out Sales Leadership United because for the cost of lunch, you'll make an investment in yourself that will be a game changer. But the, honestly, the easiest way to support us is just to share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Share the show with someone who needs to hear it. Talk about it. Post about it. And then be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions. And don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, 
you know where to find me.